0: Every American, whether he's a conservative or a buffoon, must surely agree that we would not want to break all historical precedent and possibly endanger our republic by indicting a former president of the United States unless his crime was truly egregious. But when an anonymous clerk in a man's multi-billion dollar organization makes a vague bookkeeping entry in order to do something or other having to do with a crime no one can specifically name, it's clearly time to act. As you may not have heard if you were hiding in a closet, sticking your fingers in your ears and imitating a kazoo, playing the Battle Hymn of the Republic at full volume, Donald Trump was indicted this week for not wanting his wife to find out he committed adultery, a crime normally punishable by having to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to your mistress who ends up telling your wife anyway. In a remarkable performance before the media, New York County District Attorney Alvin Bragg explained his actions without George Soros once moving his lips. In fact, several times during Bragg's statement, Soros actually drank a glass of water and then lit a cigarette with the free hand that wasn't shoved up Bragg's ass in order to manipulate his face. In his statement, Bragg argued that his indictment of Donald Trump on incomprehensible made-up charges was wholly in keeping with the traditions of America, if you include Central America and other places ruled by communist despots that happened to be named America for some ridiculous reason. Bragg said, quote, We in New York City, cannot normalize serious crimes on the first Tuesday in April at 2.30 in the afternoon. It's not as if Donald Trump murdered or raped someone. If it was just that, I would happily release him on no bail so he could escape forever into the lawless depths of the savage jungle or Chicago. But a male politician who would have sex with shapely women and then pay them to keep their mouths shut has done something no male politician in the history of the world has ever done since last night. It is vitally important we act now to destroy the republic before men getting stupid in the presence of a really spectacular pair of breasts becomes standard behavior, Unquote. Although the reading of the Trump indictment made it absolutely clear that Trump was specifically being charged with some damn thing or other, questions still remained. For instance, what is it about the term hush money some women don't understand? I mean, it's right there in the word, hush. It's even right there in the last two letters of the word, shh. Which means, after you take the money, you're supposed to keep quiet about it instead of going on television to discuss the whole thing. Psychiatric experts are currently trying to determine why a man who is married to a supermodel who speaks five languages would cheat with a big-breasted bimbo who does not even have this rudimentary understanding of English. And while they're not yet sure, they think it may have something to do with the size of her breast. As Donald Trump arrived at the Manhattan courthouse to plead not guilty to whatever the hell he was being charged with, pro- and anti-demonstrators, took to the streets, trying to send a message to Washington that they were physically unattractive and personally unhappy and had nothing better to do with their time than take to the streets. Other reactions were more restrained. At the New York Times, a former newspaper, the entire staff solemnly gathered in the city room to smear each other's naked bodies with honey and then lick it off as an expression of their mindless, orgiastic pleasure at having finally triumphed over the dark forces of decency and common sense. Meanwhile, Republican voters across the nation vowed that they would strike back against the unfair indictment by acting stupidly out of blind anger in order to ensure that Democrats win every elected office until they learn their lesson. At the White House, President and venal houseplant Joe Biden made no statement at all on the indictment because sadly he had passed away six months ago and was now preparing to run for re-election. On the positive side, in a country stumbling toward World War III while beset by historic inflation, unsustainable debt, and an oncoming banking crisis, at least we know that there is one crime that will never be tolerated in the city of New York. We just don't know which crime it is. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is the Andrew Clavin Show. I'm hunky Life is tickety boo. also singing. Dipsy Topsy The world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day Hooray, hooray It makes me want to sing Oh, hooray, hooray
1: Oh, hooray, hooray
0: all right, we are back laughing our way through the absolute collapse of our republic. Uh, we're gonna take a look at the political news of the week and talk about how we are snatching defeat from the jaws of victory and how we might want to turn that around a little bit. We'll also talk about feminism with the brilliant reactionary feminist Mary Harrington. I've been reading her book, it's really terrific. And we'll see, we'll look at the best Jesus movies that don't have Jesus in them. I'll tell you why. Uh, this is a great time to subscribe to my personal YouTube channel, the Andrew Claven. YouTube channel. Uh, You'll get exclusive content. We have one up there about Trump dissing the media, which is really funny. Uh, You'll want to watch that. And if you leave a comment, uh, and the comment is reactionary, racist, sexist, any kind of hateful, we'll take any kind of hatefulness because that will just fit right in with the rest of the program. Uh, Today's comment is from Hack Britain, who says, I've spent my whole life making a living, surviving just like 90% of all of us. I want to learn, and I have, but I can't understand Shakespeare. Is there something that I can read that will help, or should I just keep plotting on? I, I took that question because I get asked it a lot. How do you read Shakespeare? Uh, what I like to do myself is I'll go on, uh, I usually go on Amazon uh, Prime, and they have the entire BBC uh, canon. They've filmed all the Shakespeare plays with terrific actors, uh, Anthony Hopkins, all kinds of, uh, Michael Hordern, all kinds of great, great actors, uh, reading Shakespeare. And when you see the plays, it's much easier to get the gist of what he's saying. And so you watch the play first and then you read. I like to read the Folger one because it has good notes on the right next to the page. Uh, And then you can actually learn the play. And then it takes about six hours over the course of a week, so maybe an hour a day uh, to to do it. And then you've got the play. And then anytime you go back and look at it, you'll understand it much better. It's just because the language is so out of date. That's all. right this minute. As we sit here, your browsing data is being tracked and monitored. Have you ever stopped to think about who has access to this information and what they might be doing with it? If you're like most people, you probably haven't given it much thought, but the truth is your browsing data can reveal a lot about you. Your interests, habits, location, even your identity. Every time you visit a website, click on a link, or make a purchase online, you're leaving a digital trail that can be monetized by advertisers and data brokers. They use this information to target you with ads and promotions that are tailored specifically to you, and the more data they have, the more accurately they can target you. With ExpressVPN, you can encrypt your internet traffic and hide your browsing data from prying eyes. This makes it much more difficult for anyone to intercept your data or track your online activity. With lightning-fast speeds, unlimited bandwidth, and easy-to-use software, ExpressVPN is the perfect choice for anyone looking to protect their online privacy and security. I love ExpressVPN. It's incredibly easy to use. Just fire up the app Click one button. Even I can do that. It works on all my devices, my phone, my laptop, even my Wi-Fi router. Sign up today and start browsing the internet with confidence at expressvpn.com slash claven. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash claven to get three extra months free. That's E X P-R E S S V P N dot com slash clavin. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that sounds great, but how do I spell VPN? No, you're not. You're saying, how do I spell Claven? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Uh, So the theme of today's show is fearless realism, uh, the power of facing reality without fear, uh, which by an amazing coincidence that no one could have foreseen is also the theme of today, which is Good Friday. Now, a lot of non-Christians ask uh, if if Good Friday is the day when Jesus was crucified, uh, why is it called Good Friday? And the reason is because Crap Friday uh, doesn't sound good and won't bring people into church. But at the time, obviously, it probably was pretty crappy. Uh, here's the guy who was the days before he was cheered as the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Suddenly he's judiciously murdered in the most humiliating way possible. Uh, you know, if you read this passage, if you read this part of the uh, Four Gospels, there's a good piece about this by uh, Ross Douthat just this morning uh, in the New York Times. I feel sorry for Ross Douthat in the New York Times. It's like watching uh, the lone survivor of an apocalypse walking through the ruins. Uh, it's like Will Smith in I Am Legend. Uh, but anyway, he writes, He writes. he's the last good columnist there, uh, and he writes about how you, you put aside all the Christian doctrine, all the Protestant doctrine about the Bible being absolutely literally inerrant, all the Catholic doctrine about whatever they've deduced from this, and now you have to absolutely believe to be a good Christian. But all that aside, just read it as if uh, it's a a text. Just read it as a text. This is what I did just before I was baptized when I wanted to find out if I was actually a Christian. Uh, You will see that it reads exactly like what it obviously is. It's the passing down of eyewitness reports from fallible witnesses with different points of view and different purposes in writing it, but they're describing real and yet impossible events. And the crucifixion itself is obviously a true story because everyone in it acts terribly just the way people do in real life. Jesus' friends desert him, the local church condemns him, the people turn on him, uh, the government gauges the mood of the people and then sort of let him die without taking any responsibility for it. They said it was all Donald Trump's fault. Uh, It's just like in real life, some individuals acted as well as they they could, uh, but every sector of society acted badly. And after Jesus was dead, All the people who had deserted, betrayed, abandoned, and slaughtered him uh, took to social media to discuss how all their opponents had uh, deserted, betrayed, abandoned, and slaughtered him, but it wasn't their fault. Uh, Conservatives, for instance, they had the typical conservative reaction on Twitter. They said, it's over. It's done. I give up. I surrender. We're finished. We're through. And then because they had the Second Amendment, they took their tiny little daggers and they took on the uh, armies of Rome and were wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, Leftists and their all-powerful government, uh, they had a different reaction. They I uh, said, hooray, God is finally dead. Now we don't have to bother with God anymore. We can do anything we want and we can force other people uh, to do everything that we want because freedom doesn't matter because there's no God uh, and we'll make a world more perfect than God has ever made it. And they had a pretty good run uh, that worked. They used kind of welfare and entertainment. They called it bread and circuses uh, to enslave people and conquer people and kill people. Uh, and then they were wiped off, wiped off the face of the earth uh, by barbarians, or as they called them at the time, they called them indigenous people, but they were you know, what we would call today barbarians. Uh, But there was also this third group, right? There was this third group that didn't rebel uh, against the society and it didn't try to conquer anybody. It just lived in the faith that this man who had been murdered had come back to life bodily, body and soul. He had returned and that he was not merely the king of the Jews, but he was actually the lord of all reality. And because they believed that, they were now fearless, right? They understood that death was less than death and life was more than life. And so they weren't afraid of anything. And because they were fearless, uh, they were happy. And because they were happy and free, you know, when you're fearless, you're free. Uh, They didn't rebel against the system. They let the system go, even if they were slaves. They just went on being slaves. They didn't hate anybody because they weren't afraid of anybody. And they were joyful. And here's the weird thing. Because uh, they were joyful, they were joyful because they were free. They were free because they were fearless. And that just infuriated the authorities. So the authorities would go out hunting anyone who was joyful uh, and imprison and torture and murder them. And when the authorities were finished imprisoning and torturing and murdering all the joyful people, the authorities were gone and only the joyful people remained. Very strange, strange uh, result of that. The real reason they call it Good Friday is it's because the day it's the day when smart people despair and fools rejoice and they rejoice because they're fearless and because they're fearless They're free. Now, obviously, none of that is relevant to our time, because in our time, the most important thing is we have to be terrified uh, and despair and be angry and treat everybody, uh, especially if we disagree with them like garbage, Uh, otherwise they win if they win, if we don't become creeps. Uh, But I just thought I'd bring that up for no reason as we take a look at our political reality this week. Most important thing, you got to stay healthy, and living a healthy lifestyle can be challenging when you're always running around and doing stuff. You need simple, manageable routines to make sure you're getting the proper nutrition every day, which is why you will love Balance of Nature. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies are a great way to make sure you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Their capsules are packed with 100% whole food that you can take any time. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural antioxidants in 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. They sent a bunch of these fruits and veggies capsules down to the studio. My team tried them. I can't get them down off the ceiling. It's, in, it's embarrassing. When you're disciplined enough to take care of your health, you reap all kinds of benefits. Make fruits and vegetables a part of your daily diet. Your body will thank you. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering 35% off with your first preferred order. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code CLAVEN for 35% off. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code CLAVEN. Take these pills. You'll instantly know how to spell CLAVEN. But it, just in case, it's K L A V A N. There are no ease in CLAVEN. There are no ease in CLAVEN. So reality, facing reality fearlessly. There are a couple of big political stories uh, this week that really teach us something about reality and about us because it's so much easier to live in your own head. And one of the things that our opponents do so well is they make us angry. They make us angry because they own so much of the communications territory. And when you get angry, you know this from your own life. You know, people get most of the time get angry because they're afraid, Uh, very often get angry because they're afraid. And so you get afraid, you're going to lose, you get angry, and then, and you know this again from your own life, when you get angry, you do stupid stuff. So let's begin with Trump's indictment, all right? Everything about it was geared to make you furious. Every single thing. And I have to say, I was I was expecting uh, this guy, this uh, Soros marionette, Alvin Bragg in New York, the New York County uh, D.A. I was expecting him to bring an indictment that even I would have to say, well, he's kind of got a point or just to use enough legal trickery. I mean, I knew that the fact that Trump paid off uh, you know, his mistresses, maybe he says he didn't, but maybe he did uh, t- to keep their mouths shut. Uh, I knew that wasn't really enough to indict a uh, an ex-president. It was just such a foolish, reckless, anti-American, un-American thing to do that I thought it was going to be disguised. But then they unleashed, they brought him into court and they read the indictment. And I'm looking at the indictment. And I thought like, this is utter garbage. It's just totally uh, empty. It was way more cynical and openly fraudulent than I thought it was going to be. So that's the first thing that was there to make you angry. Uh, and And we know, to begin with, we know that that Bragg was already bragging, as it were, at, when he was running for the office. Was already bragging uh, that he was going to get Trump, and that this was something that he was poised to do. Here's uh, clip one from the from that point of, in time.
1: I believe we have to hold him accountable. Uh, I haven't seen all the facts beyond the public, but I've litigated with him, and so I'm I'm prepared to go where the facts take me once I see them uh, and hold him
0: accountable. So. That, so that's the first thing. That was, he was on target. He was like a guided missile. And then this, the next thing is, at, on the day of the indictment, he did come out and make this uh, statement to the press. And it was clearly fraudulent. And it was geared to make anybody who was actually paying attention, who was honest, f- furious. This is cut to.
1: These are felony crimes in New York State. No matter who you are, we cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct the defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. He also caused others to make false statements.
0: You're thinking, by this time, if you're a knowledgeable conservative, you're on the ceiling. You're thinking, what? That's a a felony in New York where you let people who commit rape and, and murder go free with no bail? This is a guy who downgraded 52 percent of felony charges to misdemeanors in a city where crime has risen, depending on what sector you're dealing with, somewhere between 20 and 30 percent in the last year. And so, you know, already you're furious because he's it's so, so no one's above the law except the people that I say are above the law. Right. That's basically what he's saying. What he's talking about is record keeping. He's talking about false statements. It's like writing on the check. Yeah, I didn't I didn't pay this woman to keep her mouth shut about our affair. Then, finally, Trump came out and he, you know, is always defiant and he's not going to buckle under to this stuff. Uh, and, and his response, he, he put the thing in context. I wanted to play this part. He obviously went after Bragg. He said, this is nonsense. This guy's a terrible guy. All the stuff that Trump usually says. But this was the important part of his speech to me. He put it in context of all the things that have happened to him. It's cut five.
1: From the beginning, the Democrats spied on my campaign. Remember that? They attacked me with an onslaught of fraudulent investigations. Russia, Russia, Russia. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Impeachment hoax number one. Impeachment hoax number two. The illegal and unconstitutional raid on Mar-a-Lago, right here. The lying to the FISA courts, the FBI and DOJ relentlessly pursuing Republicans. The unconstitutional changes to election laws by not getting approvals from state legislators. The millions of votes illegally stuffed into ballot boxes and all caught on government cameras. And just recently, the FBI and DOJ in collusion with Twitter and Facebook in order not to say anything bad about the Hunter Biden laptop from hell.
0: All of that stuff is true. I mean, all of it. I don't know if there's millions of votes cast illegally, but it was, you know, we could see it's happening and we could see the fact that at the same time, uh, the New York Times, a, a former newspaper, was saying this is the most honest election in in history. The lies, the lies make you even crazier. So then when you watched the media, so you're, you've got this history of, of, you know, Trump has been treated more unfairly than any politician in my lifetime. And Reagan was treated genuinely unfairly. And it was not. It was only anomalous in the degree. Remember, they called George W. Bush Hitler. Uh, you know, they called Mitt Romney Hitler. They, you know, they, they call everybody Hitler. And any, anyone I don't like is Hitler. Uh, but really, the treatment of him, the mobilization of the deep state against him and the mobilization the join, the media joining the deep state was enough to drive anyone crazy, and driving you crazy is part of the point because when you're crazy, when you're scared, when you get angry— you don't act wisely. You don't deal with reality fearlessly, right? So here's the media response. I mean, the media response was also that just the absolute hypocrisy was enough to make you nuts. Cut three. It's a sad day for America. Hard stop. This is no time for celebration. Uh, You know, I think it's sad.
1: I have fought Trump for a long time, but I'm sad that this has happened. How are you feeling about a historic day? I, you know, it's it's sad. And this is a day of profound sadness that an ex-president uh, is indicted. But it's also a time to celebrate because it's a sad moment to see a former president have to do this. Even though we feel it could lead to justice, if if, if you if you don't see that, it's a sad day for America. It's a sad day for America. It's a sad day. Well, I don't think anybody can consider it a good day, regardless of anything. It's just really sad. The sadness, I, I think, uh, that we got to this point. I just want to remain measured. The left, full of somber support. I think really this should be a somber moment. It is a
0: serious, somber, solemn moment. It's obviously a somber moment and it's a, it's a sad moment. Well, it's really a sad day when we get to this point. See, So they're sad, they're somber, they're sad and somber, they're somber, also sad and also somber. Uh, but the Daily Wire had some cameras behind the scenes and we got a very different reaction uh, behind the scenes like this.
1: Happy days are here again The skies above are clear again Let us sing the song of cheer again Happy days are here again.
0: All right, so it's a little different a little different reaction behind the scenes obviously they've been trying to get this guy forever uh, they this guy was elected bragg on the promise that he would get him uh, and he's indicted him. anybody can see any honest person is going to see that this is fraudulent this is there is no. Excuse for indicting a former president of the United States after Hillary, who was banging her phones with, you know, stealing documents or banging her phones with a hammer and bleaching them and all this stuff. You know, after all of that stuff, uh, there's absolutely no excuse. There's no excuse. It's just, so so now you're furious. Right. And you, you're afraid that the country is falling apart. And when you're afraid, you get furious. And when you're furious, you get afraid. And, you know, right, that's when you start to act foolishly. Now, here is, you know. People are angry. Money is pouring in to the Trump campaign. Now, I want to say, first of all, that because uh, of, of the fact that I've been really annoyed with Donald Trump and the way he's behaved, and I think he's behaved badly. I told you after the election that if he kept complaining about the election being stolen without being able to mobilize people to do anything about it, and he wasn't able, and it was not because of the courts. I read the things that he sent into the court. I would not have accepted his cases. He had nothing to bring to the courts because his law team was so bad uh, that they didn't do a good job in getting anything, and they should have done, as Jenna Ellis uh, said herself, they should have gotten some of the stuff stopped beforehand. I said he was going to lose Georgia. He lost Georgia. That's why we're having this run uh, on our country. That's why we're so, the the Biden years have been so bad because we had no way of stopping them in the Senate. I've been really annoyed. So people have been saying, oh, I'm now never Trump. And that's absurd. I voted for him twice. If, If I have to, I'll vote for him again. I don't want to vote for him again. Only for one reason. For one reason only. He's going to lose. Skincare. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's just for women, but it's not. If you're tired of dealing with puffy eye bags, dry skin, and wrinkles, and want to look and feel your best every day, it's time to start taking your skincare routine seriously and check out our friends at Genucel Skincare. My assistant's favorite product is the Genucel Dark Spot Corrector. It's formulated with revolutionary ingredients that effectively diminish the appearance of unsightly dark spots, acne scarring, and any other patches of discoloration. The Genucel Dark Spot Corrector leaves you with a bright, even complexion that will have you looking younger healthier and more vibrant say goodbye to fine lines wrinkles and even those annoying under eye bags genucell will have you looking 5 10 or even 15 years younger just in time for warmer weather best of all genucell guarantees results in as little as 12 hours or your money back don't wait Visit GenuCell.com slash to save over 70% off their most popular package. This package includes the dark spot corrector as well as their ultra retinal and under eye treatment. Every order subscription includes a luxury gift box with these three free springtime essentials just in time for warmer weather and free shipping as well. Go to GenuCell.com slash Clavin, GenuCell.com slash I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that sounds great. How do you spell Claven <laughs> K-L-A-V-A-N. Maybe you're not thinking that. I don't know. Now, I can't promise you he's going to lose, right? Nobody knows the future, but I'm just looking at things straight. I'm getting, I'm I'm angry too. And I like Trump, you know? I mean, if you go and watch that video, uh, what's it called? Something like uh, Trump's uh, Trump's funniest media clapbacks, okay? That's what the video we put out, the bonus video we put out on the Andrew Claven YouTube channel uh, this week. You can tell, you can tell just looking at me, I really enjoy some of the things that Trump did and always did, always did while he was in office. However, however, just looking at reality, I think Trump can win the primary. I think he will almost certainly, and no one can predict the future, but I think he will almost certainly lose the election. And the reason is very simple. independence hate this guy. Independents who decide elections in this country, the middle decides the election in this country. They hate him and they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop hating him. They hate him because of the way he behaved. I told you, even while I was celebrating his victories when he was president, I told you that he was going to lose because of the way he behaved. He alienated these people, the people in the middle. They're not going to come back. They're not going to come back and he's going to lose. That's it. That's my objection. We have to win reality says we have to win in order to achieve anything. So here's my question. My question is not, my question is not, do you believe the last election was stolen? I've always said I could be convinced but I haven't been convinced, but it doesn't matter. It's not whether you believe the last election is was stolen. My question is, do you believe an election can be won? Have you given up? That's what I want to know. That's what you have to ask yourself because if you've given up, if you've given up, give up. Go away. Get out of the game. You've given up. You've folded your cards. You're done. You are done. Just stop. Just don't ruin it for everybody else because we need to win. These people are out of their minds. They are destroying the country. The left is destroying the country. It's not even the Democrats. This is not a Democrat party. Most people who are just following along because it says D and that's where their parents voted for. So they're voting with the D, but they don't have a notice that this is a radical leftist Marxist party uh, that has gone beyond even Marxism and uh, its attack on people's sex lives and attack on people's children, uh, their desire to control and and pollute and corrupt people's children. Uh, they're attacked the other day on Riley Gaines, uh, who just says, I want to be able to play women's sports as a, as a top women's athlete and not have to compete with men. All of this stuff. But So if you believe that the elections are over, just go away. Watch TV. Do something else. If you believe that, that the country's over, despair is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Despair is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you've despaired, you've already lost. But But if an election can be won, It's got to be won by somebody. The independents will go for it. It doesn't have to be a moderate person. I believe a conservative can win. But You know, remember, a lot of the independents who voted for Trump voted for Obama the time before, right? About 10 percent of them, somewhere between 5 and 15 percent of them voted for Obama. So people can be convinced it is not that. It is personal about Trump. There's something about him that we know what it is. He's boorish and he's overbearing uh, and he's, you know, he's he is a character, which is one of the things we like about him. But it's also one of the things that people in the middle are put off by and especially. Well, it's not just especially women. He lost men in the last election. Fearless realism tells you that being right, being right doesn't exempt you from playing politics. It doesn't exempt you from strategy. Being virtuous doesn't exempt you from the need to win, right? And and so let me give you an example. This election in Wisconsin, this judge, left-wing judge who has tipped the Wisconsin Supreme Court now 4-3 to the left, all right? Kim Strassel, uh, great columnist. Uh, she made this point. This, I actually was going to make this point anyway, but she made it uh, in her column this morning. They had a vote in Wisconsin, right? Now, in that vote, some 67% of voters approved tough-on-crime measures, giving judges uh, greater power to keep criminals in prison and set higher bail. Uh, 80% of Wisconsin voters, this was on a non-binding question, but still, 80% said, yes, able-bodied, childless adults should be required to work before they receive any taxpayer-funded welfare benefits. These are not left-wing voters. They are not left-wing voters, right? But by a thundering vote of 55% to 45%, they elected this screamingly left-wing judge to the Supreme Court who's going to tip uh, the court to the left. And they did it really for one big reason, right? She's going to do things. She's going to do terrible things. She's going to overturn uh, the great um, union reforms that they had there, uh, all of that stuff. But they did it for one reason. They want her to overturn an 1849 state statute that became law after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and it bans abortion in nearly all cases. They have brought her in to overturn that law. We lost Wisconsin. We lost the Supreme Court in Wisconsin because they want to overturn a law that. Bans all abortions. Now, here's what the GOP did that gave them the loss. This is why they lost. First, they refused to adapt the law to, you know, allow some abortions, to allow abortions in the first 12 weeks or 15 weeks or whatever it is that people want in Wisconsin, right? This is what we're talking about. And second, they put in a Trump guy, Dan Kelly, uh, who had already lost a previous election. And the reason they put him in was because the Democrats spent a million dollars in Wisconsin to defeat the more moderate candidate, the more moderate right-wing candidate. So they got another one of these Trump candidates that people in Wisconsin don't want. So we lost this because of abortion, right? Now, Here's here's what Kim Strassel says. She says the economy is teetering on the verge of a recession, racked by a banking crisis, regulatory disarray. Inflation rages on. Gasoline prices are again on the rise. Crime is upending cities. The border is a tragedy. China and Russia are feeding a new global disorder. President Biden's approval rating is underwater. Water Democrats trail in the generic ballot. Republicans should be on the march. But in fact, uh, in November, a majority of voters in bright red Kentucky rejected an amendment that would have made it easier to restrict abortion. Uh, Democrats hammered the GOP, Senate, and gubernatorial candidates on abortion. Abortion, an absolute ban on abortion, is a loser. It's a loser. And I'm bringing this up for a very specific reason. No one could say, no one who listens to this show will say or could say that I'm not passionate about ending abortion if you I, you know it's infanticide it's baby killing it's it's just like it's just like slavery it's a moral fog that has descended on our country and clouded the minds of even good women so that even good women do terrible terrible things i hate this thing but being virtuous being right being good does not exempt you from the strategy it requires to win and i you know because reality is limited. That's the reason we all like to have fantasies, because reality is limited, and there are only so many moves you can make. It's a checkerboard. It's not It's not just a free space where you can float around. You have to make your move and slowly make your way downfield, like in a football game as well, another good metaphor. I am not afraid to face my God and say, I supported a partially immoral bill that could win and save some babies' lives, and I didn't support a moral bill that would lose and save no lives. I can say that. I think God is complex enough in his mind to understand that that's what you do when you live in reality. This is the reason I'm not supporting Trump. I have problems with Trump, but I would vote for him if I thought he could win. I would vote for him. If, if I thought he was the best candidate, I'd vote for him twice. I'm Seriously. I mean, if I thought he was the best candidate, I would be marching behind him. You can't say I'm never Trump. You can't say I'm soft on abortion. I just want to win because winning is the only way. We're not, you know, we we hear these talkers on the radio using this big, we got to blow the place up. We got to take a flamethrower to it. We got to throw in a grenade. No, we don't. No, we don't. We have to win. We have to use the process to win. And in order to do that, we have to be fearless about the situation we are. You know, I'm going to read in just a minute, I'm going to read this Absolutely brilliant article by a guy I'd never read before, he named Richard Hananaya. He's a Columbia University conservative, mostly deals with foreign policy. But in this case, he's dealing with uh, he's dealing with ways that conservatives can win. It's a wonderful, wonderful Substack uh column. But he points out that we're winning on abortion. We're just not always winning in the in the polls, right? We're winning the, their uh, 66 clinics across 15 states stopped offering abortion services after Dobbs. Uh, The number of abortions in the U.S. peaked at 1.6 million in 1990, and it's declined to fewer than 1 million in recent years. 13 states have enacted full bans on abortion. Those states where we can win, we should win, right? But those states where we have to compromise, we should compromise to get the win we can get. We are winning on this issue, but we have to do some of it through culture and some of it through the uh, electoral process it's reality. It's reality. It's complicated, it's difficult. It's like dis- it's like uh, you know uh, disarming a bomb. you got to get the right wires and pull the right wires in the right places. So don't let them make you afraid. Don't let them make you angry. Don't let TV hosts and radio talkers get your juices flowing so that you do something stupid. you got to stay cool, you got to stay joyful, you got to stay fearless because we can win, and I'll tell you how. Our YouTube comment this week was about how do you learn stuff when you're so busy, when you got to earn a living? If you're struggling to fit traditional classes into your busy schedule, Grand Canyon University's online programs are designed to make earning your degree easy and accessible no matter your age or stage in life. Whether you're a busy professional looking to advance your career or a stay-at-home parent juggling family responsibilities, their online courses give you the flexibility you need to learn on your own terms. Grand Canyon University specializes in helping you fit your bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree into your busy day. From scholarships to customized scheduling, your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Why wait? If you're ready to take your education to the next level, you need Grand Canyon University. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. That's gcu.edu. All right, winning in reality. This is, a, this is the big deal. Excellent, excellent article by a guy named Richard Hanania. Uh Like I said, he mostly writes about foreign policy as a substack. Richard Hananiya's substack. He wrote an article called conservatives win all the time. And he says on the right, there is a self pitying narrative that's taken hold in which democracy and conventional political activism are hopeless. And the conservative movement has been doing nothing but losing for decades. And he talks about this narrative and you've heard it. You've heard me kind of make fun of it a little bit, uh, that we need to, you know, we gotta be more manly. We gotta be fight tougher. We're afraid to use our power. We're afraid to mobilize. Uh, and, and this is, you know, this is this thing called the new right, uh, where they're saying, you know, we're not using the levers of power like they lose, use the levers of power and all this stuff. However, however, Hun and I points out that there are some things we're winning about and some things we're losing about. And maybe we should pay attention to the way we win so that we can focus that, uh, m- those methods on the way we lose, on the things we lose. Such a simple idea, instead of complaining and despairing and, you know, pounding our fists and all this stuff, uh, you know, such a simple idea to say, well, are we winning anywhere? Are we actually losing everywhere or are we winning some places uh, and losing other places? And he makes a point that we are winning in many, many important places. Guns. The right to pair arms has become a reality over the last several decades. In 1988, Vermont was the only state in the country that had an unrestricted right to carry a firearm, meaning without a permit, and 16 states had no right to carry at all. Today, every state has at least some right to concealed carry, thanks in no small part to the Supreme Court, but most states have gone even further than judicial decisions have required, fully half the states now have unrestricted concealed carry. I believe it's now one more than half the state after Florida. And most of the rest require a license, but grant one to almost everyone who applies. Big win on gun rights. Very, very much uh, has spread. Abortion, I already covered this. Uh, and this is partly because of science, partly because of uh, the Supreme Court. But, the you know, in the states where people don't want abortion, we're getting rid of abortion. In the states where people are not going to vote for a complete ban on abortion, we should back off. We should back off. Do what you can do. I mean, how, how hard is that to do? But- Socially, culturally, and you all know that culture comes first. So often culture comes first. Culturally, we are winning on abortion because we're right. I mean, it's just true. You can look at a screen and see a little baby inside a mother's stomach. That is not a parasite. That is not a growth. That is a child, right? So that's that's a big one. But the number of abortions is going down. Schooling and parental rights. Now, this one, you know, uh, who was Bill McGurn uh, wrote a, a column in the Wall Street Journal, that this is the thing that Milton Friedman, the great Reagan-era economist, said was the most important thing is that Parents have to. The public school system is a disaster. Parents have to take back the right to educate their kids. Now, in 1960s and 70s, parents who wanted to homeschool their children ran into legal difficulties. Starting in 1982, 34 states passed laws allowing homeschooling, finally making the practice legal in all 50 states. Only as of 1993, thanks to the conservative movement, the U.S. really has become an outlier in the world in how little the government cares about what you do, with your own kids. And one reason only a limited number of children have left traditional public schools is that it's expensive to do that, but Republican states are making it more, I'm reading again, Richard Hananiah, uh, Republican states are making it more financially feasible to do so. Even a year ago, not a single state had universal school choice, meaning the parents get money directly from the state to spend on the education of their kids, which takes resources away from public schools and gives them to families. DeSantis is about to sign a bill making Florida the fourth state to adopt this kind of program, and a handful of others uh, look like they may soon follow. Again, the, this is the teachers' union, the most corrupt union in the country, the worst union in the country, the most destructive union in the country, hates this stuff because it takes their power away, and yet it is spreading. Taxes, another big win for conservatives. When Reagan came into office, the top marginal tax rate was 69%. It's now 37%. It's not just the rich, As the overall individual federal tax burden decreased throughout the 1980s and has since stayed steady. So why, if we're winning so much, are conservatives so angry? All right. So he says, first of all, there is a minority, a minority of the right, which are, who are actual white nationalists. <laughs> you know, they actually don't want uh, to lose the white majority. I'm not one of these people. I love living in a multi-ethnic country. And I love the fact that I know they don't know this, but actually what's happening is British-American uh, values, which are, I think, the best political values, are spreading to all these different people as they come in. They think that they're complaining, but in fact, they're being infected by the virus of freedom. And so I think that's a good thing. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm hap- I don't care what people look like. I seriously don't, uh, I, you know, I don't care what hat they wear. I don't care what, you know, what their culture is. If they will embrace freedom uh, and the systems that uh, elevate freedom, they're, they're my pal. Uh, they're Americans for me. Uh, all right. So that's only a minority of the new right. So affirmative action has been with us for decades but only recently here's the thing on the on cultural issues there are several issues on which the right is steadily losing. Affirmative action has been with us for decades, but only recently have major institutions become openly anti-white and anti-male. Gay propaganda in schools has exploded as has the percentage of young people identifying as LGBT. School libraries basically now carry porn, and since it's LGBT porn instead of heterosexual, the media considers any attempts to keep it away from minors to be fascism. There are now fat women in underwear ads, and so on. So these are things in which we, we lose. You know, we are falling back. Uh, and I think they're compli- they can be complicated issues. But why are we losing on these issues? This is what Hananiah says. He says, if you look at the gun and abortion issues, what conservatives have done goes beyond simply appointing their own judges and passing new laws at the state level. Rather, the entire movement from top to bottom prioritizes preventing the government from engaging in left-wing activism in these areas. To take one minor but telling example, congressional Republicans have for decades stopped the CDC from looking into gun violence as a public health issue. They know what that's about, right? They understand what liberals are doing. Any attempt to study gun violence easily shades into gun control activism, and so they nip it in the bud. That's basic, basic Politics, but contrast this to race and gender issues. Wokeness can clearly be traced to left wing government policy that the right has provided virtually no pushback against. Much of it could have been undone through the executive branch alone had the last few Republican presidents not been asleep at the wheel. Every part of our government discriminates against whites and men, and the private sector is forced to do the same. Even the LGBT explosion is likely more related to policy than one would think. Leo Sapir has written about how the obsession with minority sexual preferences and identities in public schools is to a large extent uh, rooted in anti-bullying and the Title IX initiatives. I hate Title IX. So I think this is all, you know, all important stuff. So why don't we fight about this? And some people, Hanan and I have some people say, well, the right is afraid of the media, but that's no longer true. The right is no longer afraid of the media, if not not just Donald Trump, but Donald Trump is one of the reasons they have learned that taking on the media is a winning issue. So they're not afraid of the media anymore. But he says that right-wing resistance to the left on identity issues tends to be dominated by talk show hosts and online influencers, influencers rather than people who think seriously about policy and how to change it. Now, this is something I've talked about, and I, I think uh, you know Ben has kind of come along on this issue too. Is we're not policy people. We don't have to come up with policy answers. We're people who are here to point things out, to make things public, to get you interested in these things. But you have got to be the people who go and organize. You're the people who've got to win elections. You're the people who've got to participate in uh, organized drives to get these things um, stopped. You know, A lot of people write to me. I get a lot of this. A lot of people write to me and they say, can you connect me to Jeremy? Because I have a project. Well, you know what? Jeremy has his own projects. I have my own projects. Everybody has his own projects and we get them done. We get them done. It's not, can I connect you with anybody? It's how do you get started? How do you get the funds? How do you build the organization? How do you do it? If you believe you can win, Then you have to start thinking about winning in reality, which means going into the process as the process is going up against people sometimes who are powerful and are against you, uh, facing down, you know, the slurs and the uh, attacks and all that stuff and building quietly building an organization that will pull the rug out from these buffoons. It is doable. We've done it on taxes, we've done it on guns, we've done it on education, we've done it on abortion, but we can't do it if we're not in power and we can't do it if we don't play the political game and strategize living fearlessly in reality. Fearless reality, we can win. Some of you already know this, but according to leading industry sources, grocery stores across the United States are worried about food shortages. Having a food storage supply is just a smart decision that can provide you with peace of mind and security in times of uncertainty like these. Natural disasters, power outages, and other emergencies can strike at any time. Having a food storage supply ensures that you and your family will have enough food to eat even if grocery stores close or food supplies are disrupted. That's why you need 4Patriots Survival Food. They offer breakfasts, lunches, and dinners that are good for up to 25 years. Their dinner options include chicken or beef, which is the perfect protein boost for your stockpile. While you browse their meal options, you have to check out the Four Patriots Survival Sweets Kit, which adds a tasty boost to your stockpile and helps keep spirits high even in emergency situations. All their kits are packed with real family-favorite recipes you can prepare in a few simple steps. Just check out all their five-star reviews that are raving about the flavor and the taste. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase with 4Patriots Survival Food when you use the code CLAVEN. Just head over to 4, that's the number 4, patriots.com, and use code CLAVEN at checkout. That's 4Patriots.com, promo code CLAVEN. That's the number CLAVEN, which you spell K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no so we're talking about reality and facing reality, which is a very difficult thing to do when all the powers that be are trying to sell you a fantasy version of your life, which is one of the reasons I have just been uh, thrilled to be reading this new book by Mary Harrington. I talked about Mary a couple weeks ago, and I'm now almost uh, done. I'm more than halfway through her book, Uh, which is called Feminism Against Progress. Mary is a uh, reactionary feminist, the only kind of feminist we talk to on the show. Uh, And uh, her book is Feminism Against Progress. It is really terrific, just a riveting uh, work of intellectual uh, incisiveness. She is also a contributing editor at Unheard. Mary, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So I'm just uh, enjoying this book so much, but to begin with, can you explain uh, to the audience, you you come from a very, very um, odd uh, history to get to where you are, to become a reactionary. You're actually reaction, reacting to your own life in some ways. Can you explain <laughs> a little bit of, of, of your journey here?
2: Yes, I'm a progress apostate. I'm a progress atheist, <laughs> but I'm also an apostate from a great deal of the stuff that you talk about on this show and you talk about on The Daily Wire generally. I guess I was I was born in the late 1970s and grew up in the 1990s at peak progress when we all believed that progress, never-ending progress could go on forever before 9-11 and before the Great Crash and everything which has happened since. And I was an early adopter, I guess, of all of the woke worldviews and all the the progressive beliefs which have since come to eat pretty much everything you care to name. Um, I, I leaned into all of that stuff and took it very seriously, and it was just part of how I wanted to approach life, and I genuinely thought that this was this was the only ethical and authentic way to be in the world. Um, I, I guess I fell off the wagon, to cut a very long story short, very short. So got to, yeah, to cut a long story short, I fell off the wagon. A number of personal events just lifted the scales from my eyes in a very painful way, a whole a whole set of things which I was working on fell apart and I came out the other end of that, having having realized that I everything, well, ha- having discovered that nothing that I thought I could rely on I really could rely on, and that nothing I really believed seemed very true or very stable or really very very like it offered any hope for a way out of where I'd found myself. and the recovery from from that personal disaster, it took, took a number of years. And by the time I came out the other end, I was, I well, the, there wasn't really anywhere else to go from, from radical on every front you can imagine, apart from the, the advice my grandmother gave me when I was in my late twenties. And, and she put it in a very, very grandma-ish way. You know, she was the wartime generation. She said, you know, Mary, you should, I think you should grow your hair and get married. And <laughs> because <what, but>, <laughs> at the time I really, I was really not doing that. I think I couldn't have been further from that if I'd tried um, and, and what, But what she meant and the way I took it and the way you know, on reflection was, Mary, have you considered being normal? And and actually, it was very good advice um, for somebody who's I'd, I'd had a go at pretty much everything except being normal. And I thought, well, you know, there's, there's sort of nothing left. You know, where, where else is there to go apart from having making a sincere having a sincere go at being normal? And so I tried it. And actually, as it turned out, you know, a lot of the things which I would believed about being normal just turned out to be. Well, it's just kind of propaganda, and it turned out that actually there's a lot to be said for being normal. And there are some there are some bits of it which I found a bit uncomfortable. But on the whole, embracing beneficial limits turned out to be much more liberating, paradoxically, than than the supposedly much more liberated life that I'd been inhabiting before, which was re- as as it as I discovered. The hard way, riddled with covert power dynamics, and you know in 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 hot to exactly the same set of exploitative tendencies as it was supposedly fighting against, and and really didn't didn't offer much of a way out at all. And as it turned out, being normal offers much more of an opportunity to be free, and much more of an opportunity, uh, or at least uh, I can I can say for myself to be happy um so by the by the time i'd figured all of that out it was about 7 years hence and i I'd, I'd rethought at least half of my beliefs and decided which of which of my old beliefs i wanted to keep and which i which i didn't and i guess ever since then my writing career has been about trying to trying to thread that needle trying to explain the, trying to explain why I kept the bits I did which included to some extent my some of the some of the takeaways I took from the postmodernism I, I injected into my eyeballs and which scrambled my brain for a solid 10 years and to an extent the, the those those things which I brought with me from the feminism which I've, I've has been a part of how I approach the world since I was a teenager again for personal reasons and and and, and the other and the life lessons of which all of us bring with us you know, some of which you know, my, my my concern for exploitation, my concern for overweening governance. You know, a, a great deal of the anti-capitalist commitments which I had as a young radical, I still have. It's just that, broadly speaking, those tend to be embraced by the new right rather than the rather than the left, or such as such as it is these days. Um, most of the critiques which which now emerge against the the uh, against technocapital and and the and the biopolitical. The, the the tyrannical biopolitical state now come out of the right whereas whereas in my in my twenties they would have come out of the left and so a, a, a huge amount has shifted and to a great extent my political priors are still more or less the same but if there's one governing theme which has changed it's that I don't believe in progress and if you take those political priors you know the the, the critique of the critique of technic capital you know the a, a recognition of the importance of material reality and of sex reality. And of the and under the the grand sweep of human culture and human history, and you just you just take off the progress theology goggles, you know, use you still have some of the same themes. you're playing some of the same tunes, but you're playing them in a slightly different key. and although I'd, I've never really thought of myself as a conservative, I tend to be published by conservative magazines because I'm simply not legible anywhere else. It just doesn't make sense for me to be. So, so people call me a conservative, but I prefer the term reactionary because it just leaves me a lot freer to do and think as I, as, as I think is appropriate.
0: Well, it is interesting how simple uh, it is to become a conservative nowadays when the left has gone so far into its own uh, weird fantasy world. Uh, one of the things you talk about in the book is, is you had a baby. Uh, and, and, you kind, and you kind of liked your baby. Uh, yes, which, well, uh, which it's, it's,
2: right. Well, well, I mean this this throws this throws up all sorts of very fundamental conceptual problems from the point of view of liberal feminism, um because if you if you think about this the structural, the underlying preconceptions of liberal feminism, somewhere pretty near the root of that is the idea that more of more freedom conceived of as freedom, freedom from, is by definition always better. Um, but the problem with, I mean, that, that which is fine if you're, I don't know, 22 and you don't really have any commitments or obligations or um, any, anywhere pressing to be. That's it's kind of it's sort of all right. Um, I say that in a qualified way, but it's it's sort of all right. But if you're I mean, if you've got a screaming six week old baby and it's 4 a.m. and that baby needs feeding, you can't very well just lie there and say, no, I don't want to. You know, It just doesn't work like that you know there's a there's a visceral set of instincts which you know in all in all but the most unfortunate and exceptional circumstances are going to kick in and it's it's like it's like you've grown an extra body as i've described it in the book it's like you've grown another organ and, and and that's as it, who's, who, that's existentially it's existentially dependent on you, but also your existence is dependent on sustaining this this extra bodily organ that you've grown actually in your own viscera. Um, but it it just happens to be separate from you physically, and yet you have to care for it as though it were your own kidney or your lungs or your heart. That's that it's, it feels that immediate and that brain scrambling. Literally, the nope. only time in twenty years of driving that I've ever damaged the car was when I was trying to go around a tight corner with my hungry baby screaming in the back. It's that brain scrambling. <laughs> um, and it just le- it left me re rethinking everything which I believed about the the separate autonomous individual subject. And I was thinking, well, no, this. Hang on a minute. If, if in order to be a functioning participant in the liberal world, you know, as an autonomous subject, I have to, I have to erase this entire facet of what, of what, of our, of my physiological self, my reproductive role, and also my loves and my priorities, then either, the, either there's a problem with women being functioning members of a liberal polity, or there's a problem with liberalism. And you know, and I I just reject out of hand the idea that women can't be functioning members of 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 the polity. That that seems absurd to me. There's nothing nothing wrong with my brain, Um, and so I and so I've concluded that this is clearly a liberalism problem rather than a mother's problem. And whereas liberal feminism has chosen to junk mothers, I would prefer to junk liberalism.
0: So, uh, as I was reading, you give a very concise history of uh, some of the feminist thought. Uh, that goes on and some of the um, some of the concerns that you have as a feminist. And one of the things that just struck me repeatedly was how flimsy the framework is on which uh, critical theory and postmodernism uh, is built. They've taken a few uh, observations that people have made since at least ancient Greece and and the uh, and the old Hebrews um, you know that that language segments reality and that culture is different in different places. They've taken a few kind of minor observations and they've built on an entire vast structure uh, that, that cannot be supported on those ideas that, dis- that make human reality disappear. And so one of the questions I have is how do you conceive when you say I, I loved my baby. I wanted to be with my baby. Who is the I in that sentence? Uh, because this is the thing. I haven't finished the book yet, and I'm not sure. Um, and I'm not sure where you're going with it in, entirely. But it seems to me that the postmodernism that you followed, the critical theory that you followed, kind of erased that person uh, in, in some very important way.
2: Well, it, yes, absolutely, it does erase that person. And I remember really grappling with that in my twenties, and eventually um I, I went through some very long dark long dark nights of the soul trying to make sense of all of this in my 20s um you know in, you know what 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 is this i that exists um and i i don't think i really stopped i don't think i really exited the kind of the the full on i mean I, I won't call it a full on psychotic break but it was it was definitely sort of, it, it was a very deranging experience and it went on for quite you know some years really really some years and i don't think i exited that until I until I was able to formulate what the eye was that that was observing, and I mean this is this is very metaphysical territory to get into. But I mean I'll, I'll just I'll just say um in in this context that I, I I I had a direct personal experience of just being me, and and came which I felt that I could trust in, and and I was I was able to begin building back from there. Um, but yes, I mean, it's in in as much as in in as much as it, this is a set of a set of uh, really, I would, I would call them theologies, which which set about stripping away um, and dismantling and disaggregating and deconstructing all the way down to the ground level, and then telling people that there's really nothing left there at all, which is which, to me, in my view, is just not true. That's, it's not true that there's nothing left there. Um, and, and and all I can all I can really offer is you know, I mean they're, they're 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 all very very keen on lived experience and I would just like politely to offer my lived experience to say no no you're you're, you're wrong you're wrong there, <laughs> there isn't nothing there
0: I mean there, there is not only is there not nothing there we are all making decisions about uh, what is good and what is bad when you say that you love your baby you're not just saying that you love your baby you're also saying it is a good thing that that you do. Uh, And that you were siding with that love over the ideas. I mean, some of the feminists, you quote, uh, sounded like they needed to be put into padded cells to me. I mean, people who were talking about babies as parasites, people who were talking about um, how horrible it was that this should happen. This this thing should occur to a person in a free society. Um, It sounded like they had left the, uh, the reservation in some way. Where did you where did you get? I mean, I, having gone through a huge transition in my life, it, it takes a certain amount of guts. Where did you find where did that particular courage come from? Is that something that everybody needs to have or is that something that uh, can be taught?
2: You mean the, the courage to have a baby or the courage to it, the courage to, to
0: change your mind? <laughs>
2: um, it. I don't even know that I, I, I set out to change. I, I was just left with no other option. Mm, um okay. and I, I you know for, for better or for worse um i've always i've always been stuck with the kind of mind that follows arguments to their conclusion um <laughs> yes. and I, I guess that's a <laughs> yeah
0: no that, that doesn't <laughs> it's, it's, it. a, that's... it's a
2: personality thing you know so i'm thinking the... well if, if 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 this then that then it follows that oh crap i mean <laughs> i, I did, i'm I, I never, I never expected, honestly, until I was, I, I never expected until I was halfway through writing the proposal for the book that I would end up arguing for a feminism against progress. And I, I typed it out and I was like, no, 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 this is actually, that, this is where this is going. You know, feminism has to be against progress. There's no other way for it. And then I was, I was well into writing, in, in, into working out the, the book itself when I realized that it, the, the metaphysical place that abortion and birth control occupy within this, the, 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 the long arc of. The contest between the feminisms of freedom and of care. And really, and 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 it's subsequently, having having reflected on those and laid out those arguments, I've come to see that as just one one cut at a very much larger problem, uh of which I've described also in the book as our entry into the cyborg era, or rather the transhumanist era. And in a sense, you know, feminism has been a vector for delivery for, for the, the delivery of that entry into the cyborg era, in as in that and to, to the extent that women women believe ourselves to be persons in by virtue of having this technology which undergirds our freedom, which is to say, where we can access personhood to the extent that where it's underwritten by by the technology which flattens our reproductive difference from men, to that extent, every woman who's on the pill is a cyborg.
0: Mm. You know, I, I, I'm out of time. I'm really sorry to be out of time because I'd like to talk to you more about the specifics of this. Where can people find your writing besides reading uh, um, your book, Feminism Against Progress?
2: So Feminism Against Progress uh, is published on the 25th of April, Regnery Books. My my weekly column is at Unheard, U-N-H-E-R-D, which is published in the United Kingdom. My sub stack is reactionaryfeminist.com, at Substack, And you can find me on Twitter at Moving Circles.
0: Mary, I hope you'll come back. I'd like to talk to you more about more specifics. I'm sorry. I would love out of time that. So
2: <laughs> this has been great and it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's nice meeting you. Thanks very much. Now, the ad copy here says getting a good night's sleep is essential for your physical, mental, and emotional well-being. I'm sorry to hear that because I never sleep, but that's why I love my Helix mattress. You may love it because it helps you get a good night's sleep. Helix is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences or my unique staying awake preferences. If you're a hot sleeper, a side sleeper, or a non-sleeper like me this is the right mattress for you. The Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection for your kids, I've had my Helix for a few years now, and while I still am not the best sleeper, I love how my Helix is customized to fit my needs perfectly, which really matters a lot when you're awake. Nervous about buying a mattress online? You do not have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress, because why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? Go to helixsleep.com slash take their two-minute sleep quiz, and find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type your mattress will come right to your door for free. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll pick it up for you. If you don't love it, you'll love it. Don't worry about it. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. This is their best offer yet, so hurry over to helixsleep.com Claven With Helix, better sleep starts now. So does better lying awake. But you got to know how to spell Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. All right. We are coming up on nine months since the release of Matt Walsh's groundbreaking documentary, What is a Woman?, which exposed radical gender ideology for what it is. Terrific, terrific documentary. Uh, you'd think this would be ample enough time for people to come up with an actual answer to that question. It's a simple question, but you'd be wrong. As Matt discovered in the Young America Foundation Q&A in New Mexico just a few nights ago, their answers to the question are still just as confusing and nonsensical. I'm sure you all have seen this clip going viral from after Matt's speech when a self-identified trans woman, a, a male, a guy, attempted to answer a simple, very predictable question. What is a woman? Here's how that person responded. A woman is, this is a quote, A woman is somebody who is included and respected and seen and participates in society recognized by other women. I'm going to tell my wife that question, but I'm going to tell it from a distance. So when she throws a bunch at me, I won't go flying out the door. Uh, If you haven't yet seen what is a woman or if you are on the left and still somehow find yourself confused at basic biology, here's some good news. You can now get 30% off your Daily Wire Plus membership when you use the code WOMAN. I don't know what it means, but it's spelled W-O-M-A-N. If you've already seen the film, then you understand how important it is. If you haven't or know someone who hasn't seen it, tell them to watch it. We need to start recruiting more people back to the side of truth and basic reality to watch What Is A Woman. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe and use the code woman to save 30% off your membership. It's a mysterious word, but it will get you 30% off. So on the cultural section, I want to bring together uh, two themes of the show, reality and Easter, uh, because Good Friday is the prelude, the tragic prelude to the joy of Easter. And I was thinking about, you know, when I was talking to Greg Laurie uh, last week about his film Jesus Revolution, which I really liked, uh, but I was still thinking about why in general Christian movies uh, don't uh, move me all that much. Uh, And I was thinking it's because they do not show reality. They don't show the way people really are. Uh, They'll show people who have a flaw or some or do a bad thing, but they don't show how inherently flawed we are. I was comparing them in my mind uh, to um, romantic comedies. Romantic comedies are not the most realistic, uh, you know, stories in the world. Uh, They're kind of happily ever after stories. But at the same time, if you look at the great romantic comedies, look at Philadelphia story, Harry met Sally, uh, the first few seasons of cheers, one of the really great romantic uh, narratives of Sam and Diane, uh, you know, if you look at those, the people in them are not—they're not just flawed. They're us. They're small. They're stupid. They—they're governed by sex and greed and uh, personal ambition and neurosis. They have their neurotics, and yet love flourishes in the midst. Of, of those things. And when I was talking about King Lear and the Tempest, I was showing how Shakespeare uh, pours Christian truths into tragedies, into things with terrible, you know, the guy's eyes are being put out, and you think, well, where's the Christian, hey, you know, where's the happy Christian talk here? Nowhere, there's nowhere, and yet Christ is there. So I wanted to take a look at some movies for the Easter season that weren't religious movies, and yet were filled with Jesus. They were movies about Jesus, and yet movies about Jesus that include all the flaws and, uh, and even evil of human beings and um, aren't squeaky clean and aren't G-rated or anything like that. So the first one I thought of is a movie that many people don't know about, which I just think is absolutely wonderful. It's a small movie, but it's a wonderful film. If you've never seen it, 1961, it's called Whistle Down the Wind. I think at one point Andrew Lloyd Webber made a musical out of it, but I don't know if I don't think it ever went anywhere. Uh, but but it is a wonderful little film. Uh, it's based on a novel by a lady named Mary Haley, Mary Haley Bell. And Mary Haley Bell was married for like 60 years of one of the great showbiz marriages to an excellent British actor uh, named John Mills, a very famous British actor in his day. And Mary Haley Bell and John Mills had two daughters. Uh, One was an actress named uh, Juliet Mills, who was in a TV show for a while here called Nanny and the Professor. But the other was Haley Mills, right? Putting the two names together, Haley Mills. And she was a big Disney child star. She was in a film called Pollyanna, which is still a good film. If you haven't seen it, your kids would love that uh, film if they're younger. Um, and Haley Mills, a very beautiful uh, young girl. And she plays a little girl in this film, Whistle Down the Wind. That also has Alan Bates, a great, great actor, in his first starring role. And it's about a bunch of local school children uh, in the Lancaster villages around a farm. And one day there's a fugitive hiding in the barn of one of these kids. It's Alan Bates. And he's wounded. He's got a knock on his head. And one day Haley Mills walks into the barn and she hears somebody in the barn. She's scared, right? And she says, who is it? And just as she says, who is it? The fugitive passes out. And as he passes out, he says, Jesus Christ. And he collapses. And Haley Mills, being a little child, she thinks Jesus Christ is hiding in the barn. And that's the story. The story is this fugitive is hiding in the barn, and the word spreads throughout all the little children of the neighborhood that Jesus Christ is hiding in the barn. And the the conflict is between the realism, but also the cynicism of the adults, and the falsehood, but also the faith of the children. And you can see uh, the children's kind of rudimentary faith uh, in, in in this scene here. It's cut eight. Who's
2: got to look after them then? Jesus. Don't talk wet. Yes, he will then, because that woman told me. What woman? The woman in the Sally Harvey, that woman. I asked her to look after it, and she said Jesus would look after it for me. What well, what's she know about it? She knows because she lives in his house. How can she when he's dead? Oh, I'm Cathy. Well, what's up? He is, isn't he? but fancy saying you'll have something terrible happening now. Yes, you just wait till Jesus comes and gets you. I'm not bothered. It's only talk.
0: She has this worried look up at the sky. Jesus is going to come and get her. Uh, and the the thing is, is obviously their faith is, as I say, simple uh, and misguided. But still, their faith finds a truth that is higher than the truth of the world that they're living in. The world is still the world, but there is a truth higher than that. And the children see it when the adults can't. It's a beautiful movie, Whistled Down the Wind. Another one is uh, one of uh, a personal favorite movie of mine, *Cool Hand Luke*. If you've never seen this picture, especially if you're a guy, it's a great guy's movie. 1967, uh, starring the terrific uh, Paul Newman, one of the great stars uh, of that that era. Uh, *Cool Hand Luke* is just a terrific, terrific picture, and uh, it's got uh, it's got beautiful, beautiful music. And whistle on the Wind* has a beautiful theme in it too. Uh, the music in uh, uh, cool Hand Luke is by Lalo Schifrin, who you know from Mission Impossible. He was a very prolific, terrific writer. And the theme is uh, Down Here on the Ground. If you can find a good version of it, the jazz in that time was too overdone. Uh, but if you can find a good simple version of someone singing Down Here on the Ground, it's a very, very lovely uh, song. And it had a famous line, and Struther Martin plays the uh, leader, the head of a chain gang. Uh, and he beats up the prisoners savagely and says, what we have here." Is a failure to communicate, and that became a very famous line. So Cool Hand Luke is about a guy who commits a minor crime. He's uh, drunk and he starts uh, wrenching the tops, the uh, the heads off parking meters. Uh, he gets arrested and he's uh, sentenced to two years on a chain gang uh, in a prison. Uh, camp run by this sadist and the guy just decides to break this guy and cool and luke is hes just a guy you know he's just trying to get through his thing but he just starts to beat him up no matter what he says if he's a smart aleck he beats him up uh he puts him in a hole in a box this horrible punishment uh and luke (laughs) has nothing to fight back with he has no power and yet he will not be broken, uh, or at least he stands up to this guy. And it starts out with uh, this guy, Dragline, who uh, is, uh, is who, he, the guy won a George Kennedy won an Oscar for that. Uh, Dragline is the tough guy. He's the the bull goose loony they call. You know, he's the the bull of the uh, the alpha male of the yard, and he beats the living hell out of uh, Luke, too, but Luke will not surrender. He just never surrenders. That's the only thing about him. And so they're playing cards one day, and Luke bluffs, and this is how he gets his uh, he gets his nickname. Here's that clip.
1: The man's got kings, get your tail out. Yeah. Oh, you oh. yeah. oh. you want to see him? Yeah. Right yeah. there. One, two, yeah. three, four, five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. up, right? Had, not, and he Six beat up. you with nothing. <laughs> just like today when he kept coming back at me with nothing. <laughs> yeah, well... Sometimes nothing can be a real cool hand. Go <laughs> sit in here next to my boy.
0: cool hand Luke. But cool hand means he's got nothing, but he's going to play nothing. And that's, it's a beautiful film, very moving. And the idea that this alpha male understands that this guy is unbeatable. He's undefeatable. And that inspires the other people. He's still just a, a drunk and a petty criminal, uh, but he has freedom. He's, a, he's free because he's willing to take the pain. And this is the, this is the thing. This is what freedom is, right? Freedom is not being afraid not If you're not afraid, then you're free. The deaths of saints tell us why saints are free. This is as opposed to what was sold to us by the news media during COVID, right? When Donald Trump, remember Donald Trump came out and said, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. And this was the reaction of the press. Don't tell your supporters, don't be afraid of COVID. Everyone should be afraid of COVID.
1: It's okay to be afraid of COVID. And it's okay that, that it's dominating your life because y- it has dominated your life.
0: So if you want, that's, you know they say that they say that men can't become women, but Jake Tapper uh, did a good job there. Uh, you, you, know, you should be afraid. Well, why do they want you to be afraid? Because then you have to tune in next week. Then you're a slave. You're if, if you're afraid, you're a slave. If you're afraid, you're angry. If you're angry, you're a slave. Only when you're fearless, only courage, only courage makes you free. Because life is hard and there's a lot of pain in it. And sometimes to be free, you gotta take the punch. You gotta stand up to people. And that is the thing that Jesus gives people because he says to you, as I said before, that death is less than death and life is more than life. And so you don't have to be afraid. Be not afraid. Jesus says this all the time, be not afraid. And that's where freedom comes from. Because you know what? There's always gonna be somebody who wants to take your freedom, and the bigger they are, the more they want it. The more powerful power they have, the more they want to keep that power in play, and the more they know that your individuality and your freedom threatens their power. The only way to be free is to be free. The only way to be free is not to be afraid, and that is the thing that Christ gives you on this Easter when you suddenly realize, oh, yeah, they crucified this guy, yet there he is, right? That is where that courage comes from, and it is beautifully, beautifully shown in um In Cool Hand Luke. Terrific movie, terrific movie. The other is an Oscar winner. Maybe you've seen this one. This is probably the most uh, famous of them is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 1975. Uh, It won the Oscar, I believe, and uh, obviously Jack Nicholson won as Randall Patrick McMurphy. I've sometimes compared Donald Trump to Randall uh, Patrick McMurphy. I like the book better by Ken Kesey. The novel is absolutely wonderful, and I like it because it uses this kind of trick, uh, literary trick, where the whole thing is told from the position of a crazy person uh, as he slowly becomes sane because of Randall Patrick McMurphy. And the thing is, McMurphy is a petty criminal, gambler or brawler uh, who is sentenced to prison and to get out of prison, he pretends to be insane. So he's sent to an insane asylum. Ken Kesey worked in an insane asylum. This is based on this. And it reflects, the film reflects this kind of growing idea uh, in philosophy, uh, Foucault, Michel Foucault, was saying this at the same time. He was saying people aren't crazy; uh, it's just a definition of society. It's a power. You know, Foucault thought everything was a uh, a power structure, and the power structure, um, you know, defined where madness is. Now that's false. That's that's foolish. Some people are mentally ill, but but what Kesey is saying here is that. It can be done that way. Some things that are are, uh, considered crazy are just normal. Uh, At one point, Randall Patrick McMurphy says... Uh, to these guys. You're no crazier than everybody else, and that I think is the point. This also is about manhood. Uh, The the place is dominated by Nurse Ratchet. She hates their manhood. She uses every trick she can uh, psychologically to confuse them out of their manhood, out of their convictions, out of their anger. Uh, She makes them, they have there's a wonderful scene where they have a group therapy thing where everything devolves into babbling and craziness and screaming, and through it all, Randall Patrick McMurphy just stands up to her and the scene. The, the best scene, I think, where he stands up to her is when he wants to see the World Series. Uh, she manipulates the people so that uh, they won't vote to have the, the World Series, and she won't let them watch it. So McMurphy sits down in front of a blank screen and starts to dicta- you know, announce the World Series as if it's there until all the crazy people gather around him, and they can see it too. And here's that clip.
1: Alright, here he comes for the next pitch. Press, swings. It's a lot of good. Left oh Somebody give me a wiener before I die! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Go Backs looks down. He's looking at the great Mickey Mantle now. Here comes the pitch. Mantle swings. Oh it's a home run!
2: <laughs> it's great.
0: Louise Fletcher uh, as Nurse Ratchet. She also won an Oscar for this. And why is she so angry? She's angry because they're free. Why are they free? They're free because their minds are free. They're in a- asylum. They can't get out. They're locked up. They can't break out. Uh, but they're free because their minds are free and their minds are free because Murphy is unafraid and be- Mick Murphy is unafraid and uh, and he teaches them to be unafraid as well. Each one of these stories, I, I say these are Christian stories because each one of them follows the pattern Uh, of a Christian story. Only the first one, Whistle Down the Wind, involves Jesus directly in the sense that this guy, they think this guy is Jesus. But all of them follow the pattern of the passion story uh, and the resurrection story. Uh, And you'll see when you watch them that that story is embedded in these stories. And the reason I love to see it uh, is Christian truth embedded in evil selfish, unrighteous reality is because Christian truth is embedded in evil, selfish, unrighteous reality. It does not transform the world into a happy place. It does not transform you into a righteous person. You will still be the person that you are, but you will grow into something new with Christ. You really will. I've never never experienced anything like the personal growth that I have simply in having a relationship uh, with the living God. It's just an amazing thing. But it takes place in reality. It doesn't stop me from having an ego. It doesn't stop me from uh, being annoyed. It doesn't stop me from sometimes being afraid and angry, uh, all of those things. But it, it's a light. You know, it's like uh, the difference between being lost in a storm and being lost in a storm and being able to see the North Star so you know what direction uh, you're traveling in. When you leave the truth reality behind. When you leave the truth of reality behind, you leave the Christian truth behind because that's where the Christian truth lives. It's not a fantasy, it's not a fantasy. It is the hidden truth of life. It is the uber truth of life, the life, the truth of life that is above life. And these films, uh, Whistle Down the Wind, uh, Cool Hand Luke, and um, uh, whatchamacallit, the Ken Kesey novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, great examples of how to tell stories about Jesus without getting involved with religion. All right, we are approaching. For those of you who are non-members, non-subscribers to the Daily Wire, we are approaching the Clavenless weekend. But I have to be uh, the Cl- week. But I have to be honest and say that Easter is coming, uh, so you may get some compensation for my absence by the resurrection of the Lord of the Universe. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> some, some people think that's even better uh, than the Andrew Claven show. What I can't, I couldn't possibly judge. But uh, but it still would be a good idea for you to subscribe. You can go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Claven at checkout. Uh, and uh, I don't know what that... Oh, it'll get you two months free on all annual plans. But it'll also teach you how to spell Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You probably don't know that. Um, but you know that I still get emails addressed to K-L-A-V-E-N. Uh, but... Uh, become a member because it supports us, it helps us, it makes us free uh, to deal with reality because we don't necessarily have to kowtow to other people besides you, who we like kowtowing to because you're our audience. Uh, but still, uh, we will um, still plunge you into the Easter. We'll plunge you into Easter. We'll plunge you into the joy of Easter uh, after we solve all your problems with the mailbag. Woo! Did nothing wrong. It was all bullshit. Yeah! <laughs> That's that's the way I feel about myself. I've done nothing wrong. Uh, From (laughs) Matthew, you've made Lindsay um, um, immortal. Lindsay's shout is immortal. Um, From Matthew, my wife and I have been married for nearly five years. We have no kids together, but she has two kids from a previous marriage that I proudly raise and love as if they're my own. Our marriage, though not without moments of disagreement or tension, has been extremely happy. Both of us show our love and gratitude to each other, and we have approached any issue as a team. Last week, during a conversation about our family summer plan, she told me, it's over, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Blindsided would be an understatement. I've tried to ask why. She says she is miserable and is tired of it. Tired of what? I'm not sure. She refuses counseling and therapy, saying her mind will not be changed. I'm confused, devastated. The kids are too. I love my wife and stepkids. I do not want my marriage to end. She's content with divorce and even says, you'll thank me later. Uh, do I go along with your unilateral decision to end our marriage or do I fight for it? And what would fighting even look like? Thank you for everything you do. Confused in Texas. You know, it's it's interesting how often this happens to men specifically. Uh, they think they're in a great marriage and suddenly the wife says, I'm tired of this. Uh, it's over. Normally, I can't say that this happened to you because I wasn't there. But normally, when you look back uh, over time... You find that your wife has actually been trying to tell you that something was wrong for a long time and you haven't been listening to her or taking her seriously. This is a very common phenomenon. Um, so I don't know if that's the case, but it, it, it's more likely the case than that she didn't say anything and then suddenly wanted to leave. Uh, if, if her mind is made up, tragically, because you're right, it's horrible, it's horrible for her kids, there's nothing you can do. I mean, and so your first uh, responsibility here. Is to your stepkids. Um, that's your first responsibility, and what you have to do is make sure that this is not going to be a bitter, angry uh, clash, a fight. Uh, you know, a, a, any, there's not going to be any violence, either emotional violence or physical violence, obviously. Um, and that's the best you can do. And that's really sad, and I'm sorry for you. That really is a terrible thing. But uh, if you know, if she won't even talk to you about it, and if she's not going to be swayed. Um, you know, you don't have any choice, and that's just a, a terrible thing—terrible uh, for the kids. But that's your—that should be your uh, direction. If if you are convinced, and it sounds like it, she's not going to be swayed, then your whole point now should be: make sure these stepkids uh, have access to you. Make sure that you're not in any kind of a you know horrendous custody fight. Uh, make sure that you're not screaming at each other. Uh, and that this is done in, in the most friendly, loving way it's possible to do it. That's uh, I wish I could offer you better advice than that. I wish I could offer you more hope. But if she won't go into therapy with you, couples therapy with you, if she won't talk to you, if she won't be moved, uh, you know th- th- there's nothing you can do about it. And so the kids should be your first uh, or your first responsibility. From Braden, um, thank you for your wisdom. I've listened to you since Michael Knowles was your cultural correspondent. Uh, your thoughts about living and understanding life, art, and the world have deeply impacted me. I'm blessed to split my time between pastoring a small but growing church, working a full-time job with growing opportunities, and loving a fl- family which includes a beautiful wife and three kids, five and under, <laughs> I'm, that's a lot of work. I'm blessed beyond measure, but I'm very busy. I wonder if you have any advice for being effective in every area of life when my personal inner resources seem limited. But I still have responsibilities that deserve the best of what I have to give. Uh, thank you again. I appreciate your wisdom. God bless you and your family. Well, thank you for that. Um, and yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. I mean, I have. Uh, I have lived a very busy life. I'm inks- insanely busy now, uh, and um, and it can be. Uh, it can. You can overdo it. You know. I mean, I remember. Uh, When I wrote Another Kingdom and I was doing this show four days a week and I was writing four openings a week, which is the single hardest creative thing I've ever done, Uh, just difficult in terms of energy and uh, and time, Uh, and I wrote one of the volumes of Another Kingdom, I think it was the second one, but it may have been the first, and I actually reached a point where I had hit empty. I'd never—it had never happened to me before. My mind went blank. Uh, I couldn't do anything but sit and stare, and I just thought, "That's not good. This is—you shouldn't actually uh, be depleted to the point where you can't move or think." Uh, And um, and you know, I just had to start to marshal my energies and take breaks, and uh, you know, make sure that you know I'm I'm very fanatical about deadlines, so I would make sure that the deadlines I set were realistic deadlines, and um, and do less. Uh, You know, I just had to do less, and now. Uh, you know, I work incredibly hard, and I all week, all this week, I, I've actually had gotten sleep this week. Uh, I was so exhausted, um, and you know, it's just a question of being realistic and dialing back and setting priorities. Setting priorities is the first thing. Uh, if you're dealing with a church and children. Uh, Obviously, your children are your priority. Your church may be your priority over your job. You may not be able to do the church. and As the church grows, you may not be able to do the church and your job. Uh, You might want to think about that and think about other ways to fund your life. So, you know, I cut back the show from four days a week uh, to one for for one reason only, which was that I couldn't do it at the the level of quality uh, that I insist on for myself. Uh, and do it four days a week. I could do it. I could. Do, I could do it in terms of energy, but I had to do it worse. And I wasn't going to do that. It just seemed unfair to you guys, but it also seemed unfair to me, who is just expects very high quality from the things I put my hand to. So you got to prioritize and make your commitments and cut back commitments where you can't do it. It's the only answer, unfortunately, because you can't make more time in the day and make sure. You, and make sure on top of it, you have time to do the things that make life worthwhile: making love to your wife, uh, thinking sitting alone and watching the sunset and all those things, those things have to be factored in to a, a full life. Your life cannot be spent in front of a screen. It cannot be spent just putting out. You've got to put in too. Uh, that's why I include in my work there, I include reading, because if there's not something coming in, there's nothing to go out. Uh, and I, it seems tiring at the time. I've, I've I've read books that when I've gotten three hours of sleep with my tears pouring down my eyes. But in fact, it keeps me from getting exhausted because there's stuff uh, coming in. Uh, All right, let's do one more. Uh, Let's see. Uh, From Ethan, he says, I love the Cameron Winter series. Cannot wait for the third one. Comes out October 31st, The House of Love and Death. Uh, You can pre-order it if you want to, uh, but I will advertise that more. I'll plug that more as we get closer to the day. Uh, He says, you got me reading again for the first time since high school. He says, I'm 22. I work for my dad's resale business. Recently, my dad, a pro-Trump Christian conservative, Hired someone for our business who we thought was a man. It wasn't until after she was hired that he discovered that she's really a woman who thinks she's a man. My dad says as long as she's a good worker and keeps the politics and activism out of the company, uh, when he then he has no problem with it. I, on the other hand, do have a problem with it because I'm not going to conform to her delusions and address her as he, if I ever do have to address her. What do you think I should do or even say? I don't want to be in Jack Phillips' situation and lose the business and get into a legal dispute off of even false accusations of transphobia. Uh, yeah, you know, this is your father's business, first of all. You say you're working for your dad's retail business, so he should set the, the rules uh, about the business, and you should basically be a good employee, uh, even though you're the son of the boss, you should be a good employee and uh, handle it the way he wants you to handle it. Um, I don't want you to violate your deepest principles, but, um, you know, there's no reason there's no reason you have to con- refer to this person, this woman, uh this confused woman in the uh, third person, probably. Um, but, you know, I, I would just be polite and be a good co-worker and do what you have to do. You know, I, I want people to live. People should live by their lights. You should live by your principles. But one of your principles here should be to serve your father whose business it is. He built this business. Uh, he's brought you into it generously. Uh, and so you should work and be in that business as much as you can the way he wants you to be. He hired, he hired this lady and, you know. Uh, and is taking it, I think, very well. Uh, so that, that's what you do. You're not going to solve the problem. This problem is not her problem. This is a problem we have in the country. It's a, pro- a political problem we have, people pushing a lie on our children on ourselves, on, the, on businesses. This is a lie, transgenderism, uh, and, and it has to be overcome, but you're not going to overcome it by picking on this person, you know? So just do your job and be as kind to your fellow employees as you can. All right, that is it for non-subscribers. Become a subscriber. Come on, go to dailywire.com, slash subscribe, use code CLAVEN at checkout for two months, free on all annual plans. Members, stay right here. It ain't Easter yet.